0: Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Welcome
1: to the Ignatius Press Podcast. My name is Rose Travick, and I am the publicist for Ignatius Press. And I am thrilled to be joined today with Dr. John Bruchowski, Dr. Bruchowski is a Catholic pro-life OBGYN who practices in the Virginia area. He is the founder and the director of the Tepeyac Center, and he's also the author of this amazing new book, Two Patients. Welcome, Dr. Bruchowski.
0: Oh, welcome, Rose. It's great to be with you.
1: And I'm I'm so thrilled to be speaking with you today. Um, this book is powerful. It is fantastic. It's compassionate. I read it, I believe in almost like one full day, neglected all of my duties (laughs) to read this gripping story. Um, and I just found it completely fascinating. I also wanted to just give a little shout out to your, um, co-writer, Elise Daniel. She really, I know, did a lot of work on this book too, and did a fantastic job.
0: Great. Thank you so much. It was, uh, It was a birth. Being an OBGYN, it was a birth
1: of many types. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I wanted to start off by just talking a little bit about your background. One of the things I was um, a little surprised to read at the beginning was that, you know, given your story, that you grew up in a very devout Catholic Polish family, a pro-life family. Your father was was very pro-life, had taken um, kids to the March for Life. Um, And I just wanted to know a little bit about how it happened that you came eventually to go to medical school um, and even perform and participate in abortions. What what was that journey like and what kind of led you to that place?
0: So um, my mom and dad consecrated myself and my two brothers to the Immaculate and Sacred Hearts soon Mm -hmm. after our baptism and they formed us. But just like all 60, 70, and 80, 1980, 60, you know, 1960, 1970, 1980, many parents, they trusted the Catholic school system. So right. through high school and college, especially in my Jesuit college, mm-hmm. um, we began to move away from, because there were many paths to God. Catholicism was just one of many. It really wasn't all that special. And uh, you had to be tolerant of so many other faiths that uh, I became lukewarm. Mm. Now it's not their fault. It's my fault because I began to move away from my parents and I began to buy the status quo. I Mm. believe in listening to patients and listening to my friends. And I became a people pleaser rather than someone who feared the Lord. If you were at mass today, it was fearing the Lord. And so um, what I realized over time is that mercy is really not forgiveness it's actually mercy killing
1: god is love
0: he's he loves us no matter what if you have to do that it's the least worst option please do it well and that's what happened and that's what i was taught
1: Uh, one of the things that i found particularly fascinating um is your experience at the Catholic college. I think that so many people, um, as you were saying back in those days, would just send their kids to a Catholic college thinking they were getting good formation spiritually um, and intellectually, but that's really not what happened. And from what I remember from the book, it was some of your professors that began to speak about um, moral relativism and proportionalism, which I had to look up. (laughs) But um how, how did that type of thinking and academic formation in school you know kind of plant those seeds um that would later you know take place in medical school to justify abortion?
0: So um the professors in college basically said you have to balance the goods of life against the negatives of life. Mm-hmm. And since conscience is primary and you developed your own conscience. I I don't want to say it was very Protestant, but it was very, you can interpret scripture the way God speaks to you. And my friends influenced me tremendously, Rose. So did my professors. And there's no objective reality. In fact, you just begin to enter and be the best you can be. And for us in medicine, in OBGYN, children are sexually transmitted diseases. There's overpopulation. We have a lot of poverty. To get out of poverty, you need less children. Mm-hmm. So, you and being from a good Polish family, we're not just ideologues. We want to be good at what we do. We want to just be the best we can be mm-hmm. because we don't want to be teased and we don't want to be mocked. And we are really people pleasers. And that's where I just slid into that. And it fed right into my desire to provide freedom from reproduction for women
1: well that was very fascinating as you know a parent of of five kids who will one one day not too far be going to college i think it is a warning to be careful what where where your kids go to school the colleges that you go to and be aware that a lot of this thinking kind of starts in The intellectual and spiritual formation that kids get in school. And it can be subtle, right? Um, But that there are are definitely effects of that type of an education. Um, So I want to move on now. So you graduated from college and um, you were accepted into medical school. Uh, One of the things I loved about the book was how intense you were to, like you said, be the best doctor you can be, um, to help people. And you know, when you speak about your experiences, um, learning abortion and performing abortions and learning this from your from your professors, one of the things that really struck me when I was reading it was that it would be tempting. And I know sometimes as pro-lifers, we can be tempted to see the doctors that provide abortions as like these evil monsters. And, um, you know, and of course, some cases it's, it's easier, like in the Gosnell trials, you know, and things like yeah. that. Yes. Um because it is evil. But at the same time, you were able to portray your professors in medical school and the doctors who you performed abortions with in a sympathetic and compassionate light. Oh. Um and, and I thought that was very fascinating. Um that that you were able to do that. What what can you give us some insight into again what these doctors are thinking um in offering abortion as an option?
0: Oh, so, um, oh I can. Um When you touch the heart of mercy, then you see everything through the lens of mercy. Mm. But mercy that is moored to truth, tradition, and faith. Mm. There's no difference between faith and reason, mother and virgin. Our faith is filled with paradox. Right. So there Mm -hmm. for the grace of God go I. Once again, this Mm. is nothing I earned. This is nothing that I did. It was only because my mom and dad tried to keep praying for me. They taught me how to respect others. And I now see them as pity, meaning they believe mercy is ending the life because it's the least worst option. She can go to school, get herself out of poverty. She believed they believe those lies. Well, what I found was, is that even though the first big lie was that God, our father is a jerk and he's not mm. trustworthy from Genesis, mm-hmm. well, abortion is now considered healthcare. care. Right. It just flows right. from that. And so when I look at them, they taught me and they taught me to be respectful of the mother because she was the one through patient autonomy. She was my patient, never the fetus mm. until... She wanted it. Then you took care of both patients. Right. And, and they're that's just the misguided. Patient. It's just that they're misguided. And Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Absolutely. Even Gosnell, mm. you know, may God have mercy on him.
1: Absolutely. If and he that repents. Is, Yeah, absolutely. Part of being pro-life is to, you know, treat even the people who are participating this, you know, from a perspective of love, you know, cause God wants them, he wants their salvation too. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's hard to do that, but I think it, it's so important that we, we keep that perspective. So thank you for uh, making that just that point in the book. I really appreciated that. Um, You're welcome. So getting back to um, a little bit of your training. So throughout medical school, throughout residency, um, it became clear that you were, you know, being called to be a, Uh, OBGYN and help women. Um, And there are some graphic um, descriptions of your experiences performing abortion um, that, you know, are hard to read, but also showing the truth of what abortion is. Um, And it all kind of culminates in this one night um, where you were at the hospital and two women walked in, heavily pregnant, um, both seeking care. Um, And you treated them, but with two very different results. Can you tell us a little bit about that night and how it affected you?
0: Sure. Imagine for the months leading up to that, I was working at a pregnancy center at night and I was going to an evangelical church beginning to leave my practical atheism behind. During the daytime and on call, I was being an OBGYN, cognitive dissonance. But like you know, Rose, from the head to the heart is the toughest 18 inches to go. We so need true. something, <laughs> you know, and gray hair for me and my two children and you and no five children with no gray hair. Good for you. But I wanted to, but I would, what I wanted to get at here is um, in one room, because the mom wanted her pregnancy, her child, it wasn't a fetus. It was her baby. And young lady, I'm going to do everything I can in my power tonight to help you. I will walk with you through this. I will use everything in my armamentarium, in my toolbox, to help you, both you and your baby. In the next room, separated by a wall, maybe some steel, maybe some wood, the same age, same situation, mom didn't want the baby. Mm. So it was a fetus. Right. It wasn't even a fetus. It was the products of conception. And I broke her water, gave her medicine, and aborted her baby. Now, because my heart was getting calloused, I almost dropped a towel. I caught it in a bucket. Wow. Because the mm. mother didn't want it. I didn't want it. Come on. This is how you distance yourself. Because it's, it looks like a baby. It smells like a baby. It acts like a baby. But you have to steal yourself. So you want to suffocate it but it felt too big to me. I was taught to be a really good doctor. So I picked it up and I threw it on a scale, Mm. 505 grams. So the weight and the mother's desire, I now had to call the nursery, the neonatal intensive care, and in walked a witness of God in the form of Dr. Debbie Plum. she saw quickly what was going on. And she says, hey, Bruchowski, stop treating my patients as tumors. Wow. Why don't you have coffee with me tomorrow? And I remember going, What? Thank God she was a Catholic Christian. Thank God she had, thank God she was principal. Thank God she was really smart. Thank God she said this out loud in a public square setting, so to speak. Right. Because I just happened to be on the receiving end of it and it was my data from abortion and breast cancer, abortion and preterm labor, abortion and mental illness, abortion and depression, abortion and suicide, that was happening. She came in as a witness, and I was beginning to already move back to scripture in my evangelical. Those three factors come together, and that's what happened.
1: And that was just, you know, you open the book with a flashback and a little snippet of this, and then you told the story of your life and, and, and your experiences, and then you came back to this story. So that was very, very powerfully written. Um, and that was really, like you said, you were kind of starting to see things and and God, and there had been instances where God was really moving in your life and trying to reach you. And you, you weren't ready yet. You're not yet, you know, but this experience was really kind of, it, it seems like the lightning bolt that kind of jolted you and as you said, thank God for that doctor who saw you as a as a human being and didn't and, and reached out to you in love and truth. That was so powerful. Um, so, again, so much more in this book <laughs> to patients about this story. Um, but I wanted to also move along, to. So you had that night and then shortly afterwards through a, a series of coincidences, you ended up on a pilgrimage <laughs> um, and this is really where you had this conversion. And this part of your story was so powerful. I was so blown away. My husband came home from work. I was making dinner and I told him like the whole thing, like just, I was just like, oh, and you blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was so amazing. Um, so I wanted to focus on one thing on this pilgrimage that you had this, you know, extremely mystical experience with the blessed mother. Um can you tell us a little bit about what happened there?
0: Well, it was first that doctor who suggested that I go there. And then two or three days later, my mother said the same thing. Let's go on right. vacation in this winter. Let's go to Medjugorje. Let's go to Yugoslavia. Right. And right. I was like fed up. I, are you kidding me? Oh, sure, mom. I'll go. With you. <laughs> and so I bring my Bible and I, you know, I'm like, I don't want to hear anything. I just want to go pray and rest because I'm tired. And on the hill, a young French girl came up to me and she talked to me in French, but I heard her in English. But what happened was when I went to prayer, when I began to smell the roses, I guess, now this is January, cold. I look up and there in front of me in my prayer life is the Immaculate and Sacred Hearts.
1: Wow. Mm.
0: And, uh, I now see myself as a leper and, uh, the mother guides me into his heart and I could feel totally unworthy un very little. And I collapsed like a man of unclean lips, please. No, 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 Johnny, please stand up, look into his eyes. And that prayer, I touched mercy. Actually, mercy touched me because Mm. I couldn't do it myself. And then the mother said, um, do whatever he tells you, but practice excellent medicine. See the underserved every day. And oh, by the way, follow the teachings of my son's church in faith and tradition, scripture and tradition. And when I heard that, Everything fell apart. The scales came off my eyes. All of a sudden, everything that I remember from my little time with my mom and dad, it was real. The Eucharist is real. The sacraments are palpable. They're real, folks. Your audience and Rosie, you know, because it's in your family. And yet we just kind of go through the motions. And oh, by the way, go show yourself to the priest because before you help my son renew the face of medicine and light the world on fire. This is Ignatian, right? Right. I wish the world was on fire. Well, all of us are little sparks. I saw and I'll be darned. I go down the hill and of course it's Medjugorje. So there's confession all the time. And a guy that spoke three or four languages with a little chair and a little chair, uh, I think I remember this. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been decades. And that confession. Wow. That's like, amazing. It was. Yeah. 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 That,
1: that, that story was, it was just so powerful. And I just wanted to focus on one thing that our sure. lady said to you that really struck me. Um, first of all, it was just, it was simple. The message was simple. It wasn't, you know, I'm going to, chew you out. I'm so angry or a long lecture. It just was three simple things um, to do. And the one that really struck me was to see the poor and see them daily. That was so powerful. Um, So often pro-lifers are accused of not wanting to help the poor. You know, they say don't have an abortion and then leave people high and dry. So I thought it was very interesting that Um, that was one of the three things that Our Lady said to you. And I found it very powerful. And this, in the end, was one of the reasons that led you um, to found the Bayak Center. So you came back from this pilgrimage. You you graduated from medical school. You met the lovely um, wife that you are now married to for 31 years, um, who we saw right before the interview. And (laughs) and then um, you started. The love of my life. (laughs) <laughs> the love of your life, that's so beautiful. um, I knew it had to be a powerful woman behind here, so <laughs> um other than our blessed mother <laughs> no but, yeah. um so and then so you you started practicing at a pro life um o b g y n office, but something was missing. Can you tell us a little bit about your founding at the Tepeyac Center?
0: No, yes, yeah. so um she asked me to be excellent, which the other practice was, see the underserved daily which the practice tried to, but it's very hard to do that. And then thirdly, do the best in scripture and tradition. And they did a lot of it, but just not all of it. But they were wonderful and they taught me so much. Um, we then, my wife goes, hey, John, this is not what was meant to be, man. You need to start this. And so she and I in our basement, like within a few, like a month and a half, Friends of mine helped me raise, you know, $60,000 to get started. We paid it all back within a year, even though it was a three year deal. But the reality was, is that seeing the, we were, we partnered with all these pregnancy centers because as an OBGYN, I knew that my experience showed me that these pregnancy centers really make a difference. They Mm -hmm. care for women, not just saving babies. So I felt, Compelled to partner with them, but over the decades, you know we've been in business for almost thirty years. Halfway through, economics said, you got to stop either seeing them and focus on the wealthy, and I couldn't do that
1: right because
0: I would be disobedient. right So we made it an almshouse. <laughs> we literally re- I begged money. So that's how Tepiak o b g y n that's the medical practice. 30 to 40% of our patients are underserved. However, Divine Mercy Care, one, helps raise money to cover that delta, even in the midst of inflation, even in the midst of more people going under. And it's been a challenge, but it keeps us on our knees. But now we're trying to teach others how to do this crazy hybrid model of medicine, because when you do almshouse, medicine becomes an act of mercy. And it permeates everything. And you can bridge the gap, even in Catholic circles, between more liberal social justice Mm. and more conservative gospel of life. It's both and. And and we can do this right in our own communities and partner with to make abortion unwantable and unthinkable and children welcomed.
1: Wow. That, that is beautiful. And we will definitely um, drop a link below in the comments or tag you guys uh, on divine mercy care. If people want to partner with you by donating to this. And I know I'm after reading the book, I was like, I'm definitely donating to this place. This is incredible. Um, And and I love that you're providing a model for people. Not only are you practicing it, you're also teaching others how to do it. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, That's exciting work. And I did want to, um, we're getting close to our interview being over, unfortunately, um, but I did a couple of things I just wanted to ask you about as a doctor. Um, since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, it is just in, in the news everywhere, it's in our social media feeds, it's our family, our friends, all talking about the issue of abortion all talking about these just like tragic, heartbreaking situations that many women are in. Um, and of course we know that many abortions are elective for convenience, but at the same time, there is also a lot of suffering. Um, we hear about you know, the cases of rape and incest of, of young girls becoming pregnant, the life and health of the mother, the the, um, the health of the baby, fetal abnormalities. Those are some of the things that I'm seeing people say. Um, and, you know, criticizing the pro-life movement for and thinking that abortion is the only answer. So I think that one of those that is the hardest for someone that is not a medical profession to address is the issue of um, the, the life or health of the mother and fetal abnormalities, which sometimes go together. Um, how, what, what do you say to people who believe that it is compassionate to end the life of the baby? Uh, and what do you do differently? do we address that
0: issue? So uh, it's always both and you have to use language, but more importantly, live it. Mm. So the way we handle the sick, the child with the adverse prenatal diagnosis, we say that, but it's just a very sick child who once I cut the umbilical cord rose, it's going to die. It's got so many complications. Number two, the challenging where they say life of the mother. Mm -hmm. Science has improved in the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. Medicine has improved. You never have to directly kill your child. And I'm telling this to mothers knowing that they've been talked into this. Right. right. There's a way you medical students and residents and OBGYNs who may be listening. We did it for 30 years. You don't, ever have to resort you to elective abortion. There are times very rare, rare, rare where the baby's too early and the lungs aren't developed, but you never separate mom from her baby. You never pit one against the other ever. It's not good for her psychology Right. because rape and incest, I- the pain occurs before the abortion. The mm. abortion just compounds those And we are now having more and more experience with that, number one. Number two is perinatal hospice.
1: Right. I've Mm
0: -hmm. talked to many wonderful Christian, Catholic, maternal fetal medicine specialists. And now 50 years after Roe, we can walk and accompany you through your medical illness and Mm -hmm. try to get both of you. To a healthy place, and that's not just a belief, but that's after I have talked to wonderful maternal-fetal medicine specialists in the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, Catholic Medical Association, Christian Medical and Dental. Right. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You, we always hate the disease, mm. but we love the patient, and you right. don't get rid of diseases by getting rid of people with diseases and you always know deep in your heart as a doctor, just like you, Rose, and uh, just like you, Kate, moms want to spend time with their sick children. So you maximize Mm -hmm. the time in the womb. And then when the child delivers, no, it doesn't go to the nursery. You hug it and love it and you can baptize it and get it confirmed And you can share it with your family rather than the abortion that gets secretly pushed away. No one really knows. Or they have to say, I had to mercifully kill my child. Uh, What are we doing? And now we have medical abortions, Rosie. I mean, come on. This is like, this is absurdity. And it's brutality if you believe in the dignity and the genius of reclaiming women's health care. We have a time right now where we can use the word abortion and we can speak it but actually witness it in a loving caring way to our brothers and sisters no matter what the rage we find I really think that there's a way to communicate this through through your wonderful you know Ignatius press and through this podcast I really mean that and I'm so grateful Absolutely
1: and this book again Going back to this amazing book, Two Patients, this um, you talk about these issues more in the book. And I think this is a great book to give someone who is pro-choice, but maybe has some doubts, maybe someone that's open that you've had a conversation with. It's very compassionately written or even friends that are mostly pro-life, but maybe really struggle with these um, exceptions. Um, This is a fantastic book to give to somebody. Um and one quick question cuz I know we're almost at time here and and I know you probably have to like go deliver a baby or something but <laughs> um I just wanted to ask you what your advice would be for um a young person who is thinking of going into medicine maybe even becoming an OBGYN but is concerned or afraid about how they would go to medical school or how they would get through medical school we need good Catholic doctors, especially OB-GYNs. What advice would you give to a young person who's um, discerning this vocation?
0: So if you're a secular young person, just know there's excellent medicine, excellent reasons to practice life-affirming health care. You don't have to be a Christian, number one. Right. Number right. two, if you're a member of any major religious faith, uh, scripture and tradition go really well with life-affirming medicine. However, mm-hmm. if you're a Catholic young person and you in that deep, dark place you call that whispering in your heart, you believe you are called to medicine or you think it may be what you're being asked to, to, to do, uh, that probably came from the Lord because we are mm-hmm. it's only his grace that helps us. And if you don't do it, you're disobedient. And I would say to you, listen, lean into it because there's many of us out here now who can help you along the Underground Railroad of sorts to get you through and navigate the places that you can practice your conscience, fulfill that call that God's brought you to. And basically, conscience is not about privacy. It's mm. about bringing it into the public square. And health is relational. We must remember the, the wages of sin are death. And we have to engage patients at a deeper level. They want it. We want it. And it gets us around through the problem of, oh, patient autonomy. Mm. It really brings us back to the way of medicine that's Hippocrates-based, not hypocritically based. Right. So that's what I would say and that they can contact us at divinemercycare.org and we can get you alongside of the Catholic Medical Association, the Christian Medical and Dental American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And it's about relational. It's about shepherding. It's about friendship. It's about just walking with people, both patients and providers and physicians.
1: Well, that's, that's fantastic. And it's so amazing to know that there are so many great resources out there now, including the incredible Tepeyac Center and Divine Mercy Care that you have pioneered. Um, Again, please pick up a copy of Two Patients by Dr. John Bruchowski. It's available at Ignatius.com and wherever books are sold. Um, And thank you so much again for your time. And it was so great to talk to you today.
0: Oh, same here, Rose. Thank you. God bless you.
1: you So much. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at Ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.